Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now, the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners. So there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to. And there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media. And I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. In this episode, I interview Nikki Duong Koenig, the founder of Psychochick Custom Handbags in Dallas, Texas. Nikki started the vegan handbag company back in 2003 when she was an art student. After graduating, she took up a career in corporate marketing as an art director and creative director, working in New York City and Dallas for American Express, AT&T, Bank of America, Barney's New York, Hilton Worldwide, Hewlett-Packard and many other global brands. In 2013, Nikki left the corporate world to focus full-time on growing Psychochick, collaborating with local, national and international artists while supporting environmental causes and animal and human rights. Within a year, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals honoured Psychochick with the Compassionate Business Award for being an exceptional cruelty-free company and Nikki became the first Texas fashion and accessories designer to collaborate on a collection with Peter. In this interview, Nikki discusses why she chooses to manufacture her bags in Dallas and the challenges that brings, how she chooses which artists to collaborate with on collections and how to pitch her, how she ran a successful crowdfunding campaign in 2013 to celebrate the brand's 10th anniversary, how getting customers involved in her brand and creating a community around it has resulted in the business's success, why she decided to stick to an online e-commerce model instead of selling her products through retailers, and much more. 
Here's the interview with Nikki Duong Koenig from Psychochick Custom Handbags. Hello, Nikki. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. Thank you. I'm very excited to to speak with you. And I should say this isn't our first interview. I did an email interview with you for the fabulous digital magazine, La Fashionista Compassionista. And I love your brand. And I thought, well, let's get Nikki on the show. So it's nice to be able to do a a vocal interview with you today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on um, the show. I'm a huge fan. Oh, that's kind of you. Wonderful. So tell us a bit about um, Psycho-Chic. Um, now, have I pronounced that right? I'm saying Psycho-Chic. Is it Psycho-Chic or Psycho-Chic? <laughs> Let's get that right first. Oh, no. I get I get asked that question a lot. Um, it's actually Psycho-Chic. Oh, Chic. Oh, it's good if I asked you then. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. So why did, you, um, why did you start Psycho-Chic? What's your why? I always, as you know from, you know, when I ask people the very first question, I always love to know why people run their their business okay well I started PsychoCheck 14 years ago um, when I was an art student because I love art and I love fashion so it was just natural for me to combine both of my passions and I started making uh, custom handbags with um, custom hand-cut portraits um, on the bags themselves so they were sort of like you know, pieces of artwork. And then today, you know, I, I'm working on Psycho Chick full time because I actually want to make the world a happier and more compassionate place for all living beings by offering, you know, vegan, eco-friendly and ethically made handbags and clothing. Fantastic. That are also fun and fabulous and stylish, yeah. which I think is, is wonderful. So I, I love how vegan businesses are a form of activism and that you can be so creative and, and have these things that are beautiful. But like you said, they're, they're also ethical. So look, we've already mentioned the name. So it's got also a little bit of a double entendre because like if you didn't see the name of the brand and, you know, you just said it out loud like Psycho Chick, it's kind of interesting. So tell us a little bit about the name and why you chose it and what it means. Yeah, so that's that's the second question is <laughs> psycho chick. What is what does that mean? And you know, where, where did that come from? Well, you know, it's spelled C Y K O C H I K, and it derives from the words cycle and chick. So because you know, I, I believe that everything in life has a cycle, and that we're all connected. And it was also inspired by my use of recycled materials um, and also cy- cyberspace because we're an e-commerce business. And, you know, it's also sort of a play on psycho chick, you know, sort of tongue in cheek um, because I sort of see things from an unconventional perspective and I like to color outside the lines. Um, it does not mean like I'm making light of any mental disorders or anything like that. Got it. Got it. I love that you've obviously put a lot of thought into the brand and I really like that. I think that's really helpful for people to hear that, how it's, uh, you know, it's got all those different meanings. I love what you said, like even around the cyberspace, which I hadn't thought of as well, which is, is fantastic. So no, that's great. So what kind of people, Nikki, tend to buy your products and why? So are they main, I know you're obviously maybe known as just anecdotally, but are they mainly vegans, non-vegans? What kind of demographic and, and type of people buy your, your, your products? Well, they are mostly women who are creative, compassionate, and conscientious 
um, you know, women of all ages from around the world who also share our love for art, animals, people, and the environment. Um, they're not all vegans because we also appeal to a more general market, but the majority are vegans. Okay. Wow. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So what were some of you say you've been running this business now for 14 years, which is awesome. Um, what were some of your key challenges when you first started up Psychic? Well, so when I started, I was a student. Um, and I think like most startups, uh, the biggest challenge is, of course, with money and having capital. And as a poor, starving student, um, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have a lot of capital, uh, but, you know, I've self-funded the company for 14 years now, um, with the exception of the, you know, the Kickstarter campaign in 2013. Cool. And the other challenge is, of course, with time. Again, being a student and then I was working full time for 10 years, um, it was hard for me to find the time to to work on Psycho Chicks. So I worked on it, you know, at night on the weekends. Um, and so I had to contract out um, a lot of work, you know, like for artisans, for sewing um, for web developers and for bookkeepers, because I was not very good at that. So, I, yeah, I had to contract out a lot of work um, in the beginning. Got it. So you're really juggling. This is what I, I find interesting and I, I like about your brand is that, you know, you did start from the ground up. You know, you started as a student, then you were working full time and you were doing this in the evenings and weekends. Um, and I think that's important for people to hear, you know, particularly when they see someone, you know, who's got the success that you, you've had is, you know, you've really worked for it. Um, so I, I really appreciate you, you sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the crowdfunding um, in a moment as well, but I wondered as well then, what about now, as you've grown as a business, so now you're working full time on the business. So how have those challenges changed now that you've become a more mature business? Right. So I also want to add two more challenges that I had when I was starting, which were huge. Um, another one was finding the materials, like finding quality vegan leather that wasn't made from you know, PVC or toxic chemicals. Um, and also manufacturing in Dallas, because all of the manufacturing has gone overseas. Um, it was hard to find, you know, artisans who could work on handbags here in Dallas. So over the years, um, we've overcome those challenges um, by training artisans in our studio to work on our bags. And yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, because we we have to train them to, to, you know, to make them in a way, you know, that we think um, fits our brand and its quality. Um, Because, yeah, we just can't find any handbag artisans in Dallas anymore. Um, And in terms, yeah, and in terms of the materials, we've we've finally found a, a manufacturer who produces quality vegan leather that's PVC free and toxic chemical free and you know it's more eco-conscious materials 
cool. No, fantastic. So those are kind of quite interesting challenges, and, and especially like you say, when you were a student. So when you were a student, you were were you an art student? Yes, I was. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so you already had those skills, so you were able to to translate that to have other people help you do that. So you're not doing all of that yourself. No, I was doing. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, I was making, you know, the bags in my dorm room by myself. And I, you know, and it just has, it's just grown, you know, beyond me. So I just, I couldn't handle doing it all myself. Fantastic, fantastic. So, what about this? So, that's great. So that you and that's also you were able to come over that overcome those challenges. So, what? How did the challenges? How have they changed as you've grown as a business and become more well known and mature? Um, well, we have more resources. I can say that you know, of course, we we have more capital to work with, and we have more time now that I am working on Psycho Chick full time, dedicating you know. 100% to growing Psycho Chick, which makes it a lot better um, that I can. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What, um, at what point were you able to work full time um, on the business and how did that come about and how did you know you were ready to make that, that move? Well, I mentioned um, in 2013 was our 10-year anniversary. And at that point, I, you know, I decided that it was, it was about time that I pursue my passion full time and see how far I could take it and see how, you know, how much I can grow it. So I decided to do um, a Kickstarter campaign, which is a crowdfunding uh, website to raise $10,000 for our 10 year anniversary um, so that we can produce our artist series three collection and also for me to leave my corporate marketing career and focus a hundred percent of my time on psycho chick. Wow. That's a brave decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, a huge leap and we successfully raised over $10,000 over 30 days with the help of our, our fans and our, our friends from around the world, they backed us. Fantastic. That's wonderful. So did you quit your job after you'd got the crowdfunding money? Yes, I did. You did. You waited. I was going to say that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But even so, you know, $10,000, I mean, that's great. That's obviously enough to to create your your products. But it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's not like a massive capital injection. So it's still quite a a risk that you you took and and ran with it. So how did that sort of come about? You got the $10,000, you made the 10, you know, this amazing collection. Um, And so how did that then transition into you being able to work full time in the business? Yeah, the $10,000. Um, just covered the collection itself. It, you know, it didn't fully fund the business. Um, I had to fund the business with the, you know, the savings that I had um, working, you know, all those years. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry, what was the initial question? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I, I was just going to say, so yeah, so you didn't just rely solely on the crowdfunding. And no, absolutely hoped not. Hoped for the best, you, you were able to. Yeah, okay, well, we actually, we actually didn't get the full money, you know, the full amount that we raised because we had to, pay, there, there are fees that you have to pay Kickstarter as well. Um, so you don't get the full amount that you raised, which Got is, it. yeah, it's good to keep that in mind as well. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, well, I guess while we're on the subject of crowdfunding, so what, what tips, because, you know, some camp, crowdfunding campaigns are a huge success that reach the target and others just literally fall flat. So I'm, I'm curious, what tips could you offer or what do you think people need to take into account if they're going to take part in a, a crowdfunding campaign and particularly something like Kickstarter where you've literally got the 30 days and it's all or nothing. Yeah. You either make the amount and you get your money minus the fee or you get nothing. So what what um what tips can you offer us on crowdfunding? Yeah, so different crowdfunding sites have different rules. So with Kickstarter it is all or nothing where you have to reach you know your goal or you don't get any of it. So it makes it really tricky. So my advice would be to set a reasonable, attainable goal. Um, you know, you can always go over your goal, but if you don't meet that goal, then you don't get anything. So set a reasonable amount that you can achieve. And then also set a reasonable time frame that you can achieve that goal within. Got it. Got it. What about with getting it, getting the reach out? So getting people to actually, um, yeah, to, to, to donate or, you know, getting, because I know I, I did a crowdfunding webinar that I hosted with Demetrius Bagley from Vegucated. And one of the things he said, it was really important to get your collaborators on board so that you really get people sharing about the campaign. So did you, do you think your success was predominantly because you already had that existing fan base from those 10 years? Or, you know, so I'm just kind of curious about how you kind of really got the campaign out there. Absolutely. Yeah, because we, you know, we've had 10 years um, of experience and we, we've had 10 years of, you know, fan base already. So we have that reach. Um, so it wasn't like we're a brand new company, um, with no customers. So we have customers already that we could reach to on our, um, email list. Um, but we also had a very intensive 30 day marketing campaign, you know, that we really pushed and we, you know, we reached out to our partners. We reached out to um, the three artists that we um, had already announced for the collection to help us promote the campaign. And, you know, we we received some press and that really helped um, our campaign as well. Fantastic. I think that's good for people to hear because sometimes people think, oh, crowdfunding, it's just for startups. You know, it's just for people starting out on their business. But it can also be used successfully, as you've done, with an existing business and possibly even more successfully because, like you say, you've got that track record and you've built up that that trust. So that's fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that, Nikki. So let's talk about the work with the local artists because I say I love what you, you do here. You know, you, you work with, with local artists and um, that's quite unique, I think, about your brand. So tell us a little bit about why you chose that direction. Well, I'm an artist myself, so I love working and supporting other artists. And I started the Artist Series collection in 2008 when I was um, working and living in New York City because I had, you know, so many artist friends um, whom I wanted to work with. So I just asked them, hey, do you want to collaborate on this collection and to my surprise they said yes so that's how <laughs> so that's how it started 
That's fantastic. So how do you decide then? Because obviously you, you were in New York, you, you then came back to, and someone might say, you know, New York, major artist community, but you chose to move back to Dallas. So let's talk about that first. So why did you move back to Dallas? Um, and yeah, then I'll, I'll ask you about how you decide which artists to work with. Okay. Um, let's see. So when I was working in New York, I was still producing and working on Psycho Chick um, based in Dallas. So I was flying back and forth a lot. So, um, so that didn't wow. really make sense. And so I just decided to move back to Dallas in 2009, um, you know, so that I could be closer to my studio and to my family and also to my then um, fiance. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so how do you decide which artists to work with? Well, first I work with artists, um, who I admire and, you know, who I love their style and, you know, it just aligns with Psycho Chick's sort of fun, vibrant and compassionate brand. So it has to be a fit that way. Got it. Got it. So and and you work specifically only with people in your area or do you ever do any collaborations with artists outside the area or is it mainly people based in Dallas? Oh, I work with artists from around the world. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, our mission is to cultivate a community of artists, artisans and art patrons from around the world. So, yes. Fantastic. And can you talk to us a little bit, as much as you're comfortable sharing your course, about how that collaboration works? So do you just sort of pay the artists a one-off fee for their design or do they get like a percentage of products sold or a bit of both? It really varies. Um, we either pay a commission for an like an exclusive design or license um, a specific design from the artist. So it varies. Okay, got it. So in that, in that, um, if you were commissioning, for example, so is there some risk involved? Like, in, in, like for example, if you commission it, but you're not 100% sure that the bags will sell, or how do you kind of get around that? It's hard. You can't. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really hard to, to, you know, predict, you know, what will sell. But you know, since they're, since I know the artist and I know their style so well, I know that my customers will love the style as well. Um, so you know, we've been successful so far in the designs. Um, so yeah, right. <laughs> well, so you, it sounds like you really know your artist and you really know your customers. Yeah, and I think absolutely. that's a good lesson. And also, if we we have the money to commission two designs. We will do that, and then we'll let our our fans vote on which design they want produced. Oh wow, oh, that's yeah. great! So you've got a really sounds like what I'm hearing is you've got really kind of high touch points with your clients. You really involve them in the whole thing, rather than just hey, we've got a bag. Do you want to buy it? It sounds like you you really get them involved um, at various stages. Yes, production absolutely. Yeah. Because I, you know this is a social enterprise and it's building that community. So I want our fans to be involved in the creative process as well. Wonderful. No, I love that. So you kind of feel like you've got a bit of an ownership in some way, like, you, you know, people are kind of more invested in, in a brand. So I, I love that you, yeah, that you do. That's fantastic. So, um, so do you approach the artists then or are you open to artists and creatives pitching you? And if so, how do they go about that? Um, both. I, I approach artists and artists 
have approached me and, you know, we're always open um, to working with new artists. So absolutely, they can send me, um, you know, their work via our um, our website's contact page. Send, you know, they can send their uh, a link to their portfolio if they want. Cool. And what advice would you have from someone if they were planning to contact you? Because I imagine you probably get contacted by a lot of a uh, lot of artists. What yeah. should they take into account in order to get your attention? Well, they should know our brand. You know, they should completely understand our brand and our style, so that you know it aligns with the brand. Um, because I, I sometimes you know see a lot of styles that it does just does not fit with our compassionate brand. You know, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Got it. Um, so another cool factor about your brand, which I love, is you give people the opportunity, and this ties in with what we were just talking about, to create custom products such as handbags and pillows. So they can upload a photo of their choice to have featured on the item. Tell us a bit about that. That's quite a, an interesting service. Why did you introduce that? Well, PsychoChick has always been a custom made handbag company from the very beginning when I was making those custom portrait totes. Um, so this is, you know, just a new product that, um, we're now offering is that we can print, you know, any, any photo of like your dog, your artwork, you know, any picture at all, um, digitally printed on our eco canvas material, which is made from recycled water bottles. Oh, wow. Yeah. And people are surprised, you know, that when we tell them it's recycled water bottles. <laughs> That's very cool because there's so many of those around just going into landfills. Oh, yeah. Awesome that you're taking them and making them really cool. That's great. So what would you say then? What are what's maybe one of the funniest or quirkiest custom requests you've had? Um, hmm. There's there's been many over the last 14 years. Um, but I think maybe the quirk, the quirkiest uh, recently we just made. Uh, a custom tote for a Dallas vegan bakery with a giant hand-cut chocolate chip cookie applique on it. (laughs) It's part of of their logo. So it's a giant cookie on a tote bag, which is really cute. (laughs) Fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, we talked a little bit about how you moved back to Dallas. You got your studio there and your bags are made locally. So that's a kind of an interesting one because, as you say, a lot of manufacturing goes overseas because it's cheaper. So why did you make the decision and to stay and keep the manufacturer in Dallas? Um, and how do you manage to sort of, I guess, keep your prices at a, a point where it kind of makes it feasible for you be, to be able to continue to manufacture in the U.S.? Yeah, it is hard, you know, to, to decide to manufacture in Dallas. Um, you know, it's because Dallas is my hometown and I founded PsychoChick here in Dallas. So it's very much a part of PsychoChick's brand. So I want to continue to, you know, support um, artisans here in Dallas and support our local economy. Um, and the... The reason we can do that and be competitive is because we sell directly to our customers at wholesale prices instead of marking it up for retailers. Yeah, so that's how we can be competitive. And we also keep our overheads low so that, you know, again, we can offer competitive prices because we're in e-commerce. We don't have a brick and mortar, you know, store. Um, And, you know, 
the reason that I want to keep it in Dallas is because we're pretty centralized, you know, in, in the U.S. So we can ship to the East Coast and the West Coast um, pretty quickly. And it also saves um, on our carbon footprint, you know, just having everything manufactured locally, you know, and, ha- and not having it shipped from overseas. Right. So. Got it. Got it. Now, that's interesting you said that. So have you ever been, when you say you, you wanted to keep that like as a, an e-commerce business and that makes sense. So have you ever been approached by or have you ever considered working with distributors to get your products in stores or you're, you're really happy for your business to grow as an e-commerce business selling directly to the public? We've always been e-commerce and I think it'll be like, it'll be an e-commerce um, for a while. Um, we We have you know, sold in retail stores and museum stores, but those were just sort of a uh, one-time thing or pop-up events. Um, but most of our bags are custom-made, so it's just it just works better as an e-commerce. Got it. Got it. And I think that's good for people to hear because I think sometimes when people are, you know, whether it's food or fashion, there's this kind of um, almost like a stereotype that to be successful, you know, to have a successful business, you know, you've got to be picked up by distributors and, you know, being in, in all these high end stores and all the rest of it. But you don't, you know, so I love that you've been able to be successful, you know, work in your business full time and uh, yeah, and run it successfully by working directly with the public. So that's fantastic. Do you ship internationally, Nikki, or mainly within the States? Absolutely. And that's another yeah. thing that, you know, I love about e-commerce is that we ship worldwide. You know, we ship a lot to Australia and New Zealand, which is really <laughs> incredible Fantastic. to be able to reach. <laughs> yeah, to be able to reach customers. You know, all the way across the world. Um, yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Now, you touched on a little bit earlier that even from the beginning, you started to contract out some of the work, like you mentioned, a bookkeeper and some uh, artisans with sewing. So in terms of staff, like do you uh, do you actually have any employees or do you kind of work more on an outsourcing contract contractor basis? I am the only employee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I do contract out um, most of my work. Fantastic. And how do you go about finding those contractors um, and, you know, getting them on board with your brand? Um, in the beginning, you know, I, I reached out to, like I said, you know, finding the artisans um, because it was hard as a, as a startup. But now, you know, we're so fortunate to have a strong brand that often compassionate people find us instead which is great yeah it is and I think that's that's something else to point out as well is you know that once you get to that point um you know and you keep you stick at it and you grow your brand and people like you and they trust you and they love your brand then yeah that that's the kind of thing that happens you start getting the resumes sent to you rather than having to go out um looking for people so that's great so let's talk a little bit about and I put it in quote marks competition there's obviously now you know more diverse range of vegan accessories brands, um, you know, popping up here and there, um, both new ones and and ones that have been in the game for for longer as well. So tell me a little bit about how you continue to stand out, not only in the general fashion accessory space, but also in the ethical cruelty free space and maintaining regular flow of customers. Well, I think it's amazing that the vegan fashion market is growing so rapidly and it really helps bring veganism into the mainstream market. So in a way, 
that helps us as well, you know, because, you know, high tide lives all boats, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't see them as competition, but as partners, you know, you know, on this um, mission to to raise awareness for veganism. Um, but, you know, how we um, sort of compete, if you want to say, um, is that we have, you know, the the relationships with our customers that we've built over 14 years. So we really have the brand loyalty from our customers that a lot of, you know, startups don't have. Um, and a lot of our um, sales are from repeat customers over the years. Um, and we also stay true to our three core values of creativity, craftsmanship, and community. And it's building that global community that I talked about um, that has really um, helped differentiate us and sustained us over the years. Mm, got it. I love get, definitely getting that sense for your brand that you're creating a real, you're not just creating customers who will buy from you. You really are creating a community around your brand, which is uh, fantastic. Um, so what have been some of the marketing strategies that you've used over the years that have been successful in growing PsychoCheek? I'm getting the impression that email marketing is probably quite important now because you've got that core uh, community of people who who love your brand but what yeah can you just talk a little bit about some of the marketing strategies you've used to to grow psychochic sure um so i guess the the bags themselves are sort of walking advertisements for psychochic <laughs> <laughs> because they're they're so unique um and so they kind of you know tell the story of psychochic um and so word of mouth has been really helpful for us from the very beginning. And so from the word of mouth to social media um, has been sort of free marketing for us. And we've also received a lot of free press in the beginning. Um, you know, press would approach me, um, you know, to, to tell Psycho Chick's story for the first 10 years. I, I didn't pay, you know, for marketing at all. Um, Fantastic. How did that press come? When you say so that the, the press approached you, was that mainly local media, Nikki? Or was it international? Like, what kind of media were approaching you? Because that's quite quite interesting. It was mostly local, absolutely. And so, you know, like once you start getting press, you keep on getting more and more press. Yes, yes, <laughs> which exactly. Really, which really, yes, absolutely. <laughs> which really helped. And just because we have a very unique brand and unique products, they sort of sell themselves and market themselves. Um, and, you know, recently, you know, we started doing a lot of pop-up events and veg fests around the country um, to really meet with our customers and, and do marketing that way, face-to-face -face marketing. Fantastic. Um, and yeah. yeah, for something like that, that can be great because people can see them and look at them and, and touch them. That's, yes, that's fantastic. absolutely. And the e-newsletter right. e is absolutely our most, um, I don't know what the word, um, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> our most uh, successful marketing um, technique, I guess, 
I would say. Yeah. 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 And that makes sense because I, I, I know it's sort of like, yeah, people get very caught up in social media and that can be fantastic. But it's always great if you can get people off those social media channels and into your own list because, you know, if Facebook or anything decides to close your account or something, then suddenly you've lost access to those, you know, thousands of people you may have built up. Whereas if you've got them in your email list, you've got that real kind of, yeah, direct point of contact. So it sounds like you, you've been, been able to use that very successfully, which is um, fantastic. What about the use of the word V, the V word, the word vegan? So it's another question I always love to ask everyone because we get so many different answers. So give us your take, Nikki, on, you know, why you use or how you, you use the word vegan or not or how prominently in your branding and your marketing. Right. So in the beginning, when I started, um, Psycho Chick has always been vegan before it was a cool thing um, 14 years ago. Um, but I didn't use the word vegan at all in my marketing um, because it was targeted towards just a general market. Um, and we didn't start using the word vegan until uh, four years ago in 2013 uh, when I decided to focus on Psycho Chick full-time and really grow it as a vegan brand. And the reason, you know, I decided to use vegan is because I want to promote veganism and I, you know, I kind of want to educate um, the market about what veganism is. So when you use that word, um, people will ask about it. And so that's an opportunity to talk about it. For sure. And to associate it with something amazing as well, which yeah. I think is, is really nice because, you know, sometimes with food or fashion, you know, initially, like I said, I went vegan nearly 20 years ago. And, you know, if you talked about vegan fashion, the stereotype is, oh, it's going to be bland and, you know what I mean, straw colored mm-hmm. or what have you. And, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think when you can associate it with something, particularly if something like your brand is so colorful yeah. and vibrant, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really breaking down those stereotypes, which is absolutely um, fantastic. So let's talk a little bit then about um, for those people who are listening to this and maybe I think a lot of people will be very inspired by by you and your journey and how you've got to where you are today. What advice would you give to them? Say they're perhaps a student like you were, you know, uh, starting out in their dorm um, who want to run their own business, particularly their own creative business like you do. What advice or tips could you offer them before, you know, perhaps launching straight into running their own business or jumping from employed to self-employed? Okay. Yeah. So it did take me 10 years to make the leap, you know, to work on my business full time, but it doesn't have to take 10 years, you know, to to make that leap. Um, I just, you know, I just wanted to grow slow and steady and make sure that I was ready. So uh, my advice would be, you know, to make sure that you're financially secure before you take that leap to work on the business full time. Because you, you have to be able to survive without an income for a few months or maybe for even a few years. So that's really important. Um, and secondly, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And I know that sounds cliche, but you definitely have to be passionate about your business if you're going to be working on it 24-7. And there's going to be you know tough times that you're just going to be like, Ah, like, what am I doing? But you just got to stick with it. Um, and also, before you start, test the market just to see how it responds to your product or your service. But just start, you know, don't don't wait until you have 
everything in order or, you know, don't wait until you think you're ready because I, I don't think you'll ever be ready to, you know, to make that leap. So you just got to start, you know, with something, just start doing it. Fantastic. That's wonderful advice on all three counts there. Fantastic. Um, so talk a little bit about, we're going, wrapping up towards the, the end now, let's talk a little bit about the whole kind of mindset side of it because you've already touched on the fact that, you know, yes, you've got to have that passion. You are going to be working long hours, particularly in the beginning um, on your, your business. So what would you say, what personal qualities do people either need to have or to cultivate to stay the course and run a successful ethical business? Um, I think you have to be able to think with your head and your heart, because I think as vegans, we tend to think more with our heart, but as a business owner, you know, we have to be able to think with our head as well. So, um, as I mentioned, having passion for your business, but also having a clear purpose for a higher cause, you know, whether it's saving the animals, people, or the environment, whatever your, um, your purpose may be. And also to, to have empathy for others, um, to be able to connect personally with your employees or your partners or your customers, um, and then to be strategic, um, you know, to have a plan and to stick with it. Mm, got it. Great advice. There. How important has it been for you, Nikki, to kind of be the face of your brand? Because I know sometimes with some particularly creatives, and not, not all of them, but with some of them, they love the actual creating of the product, but they don't want to go out there and like do the marketing. You know, they don't want to be there in the media necessarily, or they're worried about it. They're nervous about it. So how important has it been for you to kind of, I guess, be the person behind the brand? And, and what skills, if any, have you had to develop to be able to do that? Well, I think that's where my um, experience in marketing for 17 years really helped me build um, my PsychoCheck brand over the years. And so, yeah, I, I do have to be sort of the face of the brand and, you know, do the marketing and do events and do all these public speaking events for the brand, which I really love because I'm really passionate um, about veganism and I love speaking about, you know, um, the purpose and the cause for PsychoCheck. Yeah, and I think that's quite a, way, a nice way to reframe things is to think of it as, because, you know, a lot of people are afraid of public speaking or, you know, going on TV or what have you. But it's a way, as you say, to really communicate about veganism and your passion through your brand. So I think that's quite a nice way to reframe it rather than kind of getting nervous, thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to go and speak about this. But, you know, because you love it so mm -hmm. much. It's and it's a way to, yeah, to, to spread the, the information about the cause. So I think that's great that you've, you've done that. Do you have any specific things that you do to, I guess, kind of either chill out or to relax or to just balance yourself out to make sure that you have that strong mental well-being as an entrepreneur? Well, um, to be productive, you know, it's hard being your own boss, you know, um, so you have to manage your time wisely. So I, I time block my day for important work, for emails, for meetings, and even for workouts. So that's when, you know, I meditate or I do yoga or I ride my bike. Um, so, yeah. 
Wow. And are they kind of set into like, are they sort of pretty much right? This is it. This is the time I've got blocked out. So when you're doing the the, the gym or you're doing the, the meditation, do you turn off your phone so you literally can't be disturbed? Or is it kind of does it have to be kind of a bit flexible so that if an, you know, an urgent call comes through, you take it? How do you kind of work that with the blocks, time blocks? Yes, I actually put it in my calendar. So everyone, you know, so everyone can see you know, my availability throughout the day. So, you know, for my time block, it says I'm busy, you know, for that time. Um, but, you know, I can be, I can be flexible because, you know, owning your business, your own business, anything can happen. Um, so it's not set in stone, but, you know, I, I try to stick to it. Cool. Now that's good to know that it can be useful because it can be easy as a, as a business owner to kind of just let everyone else control you. Yeah, exactly. And let time control you. <laughs> exactly. So I, I like that you've got those boundaries in place. Um, that, that's a, a really, yeah, really smart move. Um, what have been the key lessons you say uh, you think you've learned through running your business? Wow. So many lessons. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the biggest lessons is that you don't need permission from anyone but yourself to follow your dream. That's the biggest lesson I've learned. And, you know, as an art student, I, you know, I really had no business being in business or in fashion. But, you know, 14 years later, I'm running an international fashion brand. So you really don't need permission from anyone else. Um, I love that. I'll make a nice quote. I didn't make a quote about that and post it on as a meme on Facebook. I love that. We'll put it, we'll put it on a on a bag or a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, I found that you know, as a business, we can save more animals, more people, and we can save the planet um, as a business than as an individual. I think because as as an organization, you can you can have more impact on those things yeah for sure and what I love about your story is like you mentioned you've gone from being an art student and then you went and worked in the, like you said you had a corporate career in marketing and then you found your way back to the art and into fashion so I really I think that's really great for people to hear that um, you know because I think sometimes people think oh well you know if I'm an art student can I you know am I really going to have a career that's you know going to make me money and sustain me as well as you know following my passion and I think you're a really great example of um, how it's possible to do that uh, and that even if you do go off and have a, a different kind of career you know like you did in the marketing it doesn't mean that you can't you know do what you've done as well like having the brand starting the brand up while you were doing that and eventually being able to move full-time into it so I think you've got such an inspiring story Nikki I love it um, and I really appreciate you sharing your insights and your your expertise it's been um, fantastic and um, thank you very much for joining me well thank you I hope it was helpful very much very much indeed so thank you so that was Nikki Duong Koenig from Psychochick Custom Handbags. You can find out more at custom-handbags.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 67. Now for our vegan business news roundup. 
In 2015, Aquafaba hit the headlines as professional chefs, home cooks and food bloggers discovered the liquid brine in cans of chickpeas is the ideal substitute for egg whites to create frothy vegan meringues. Now plant-based chef Diane Forley, who also owns plant-based wholesale bakery Flourish Baking Company in Scarsdale, New York, has opened the first online store dedicated to selling vegan meringues, reports Veg News. After months of trial and error, Forley managed to perfect the crunchy substance and now sells the meringues in a range of flavours, including maple, brown sugar, blueberry lavender, raspberry rose and drip drops, which are meringues drizzled with chocolate. So again, we're continuing to see more and more products becoming veganized. And you can even use aquafaba in savory dishes. You may recall, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, that condiment brand Sir Kensington launched the first commercial mayonnaise made from aquafaba, Fabernaise, last year. It's great to see these new and innovative developments. Vegan female entrepreneurs are the focus of a new pop-up market in Chicago. Vegan Woman Made takes place this Sunday, 23rd of April, and that's 2017 if you're listening in the future. With a vision to create access for women entrepreneurs to sustain business growth and create possibilities for economic empowerment, the first-of-its-kind event will feature plant-based cuisine, cruelty-free goods and beauty and wellness services created exclusively by women-identified entrepreneurs and makers. Around 40 makers will converge on the space at 2643 West Chicago Avenue to sell their wares. Now, you may remember I've reported on a similar regular market in London's Hackney Downs in the UK, run by blogger Fat Gay Vegan, which gives priority to stallholders who are from traditionally oppressed minorities, including women. Also, Maker Sydney in the inner west suburb of Petersham, Australia, is run by a couple of women who provide space and help for other makers, many of whom are women. It's lovely to see this kind of collaboration and encouraging entrepreneurship among women. Talking of collaboration, BHEX, a robotics company that originated in NASA, recently teamed up with Califlower, a cauliflower-based pizza crust and plant-based dessert doughs maker, to create 3D-printed flower-shaped cauliflower-based personalised pizzas. Yes, you heard that right. 3D-printed pizza. (laughs) It sounds so bizarre to even say it. Now, these were made in under a minute in front of a crowd of 300 at Groundwork, a Columbus-based firm in Ohio that provides IT services for non-profit organisations. BHEC CEO Anjan Contractor praised Califlower's forward-thinking way of operating, saying their organic, plant-based approach to crust appeals to vegan and health-conscious markets that appear ready to grow tenfold over the next year. Jordan French, BHEC's founding CMO, added that No longer do retail-facing businesses need to sacrifice on quality and personalisation due to a spike in demand for fresh food. 
BHEX's technology permits a far greater variety of foods to be available on demand and to a certain calorie count. Wow. <laughs> you know, I often joke about how cool it would be to have one of those food materializers on Star Trek Next Generation where you say what kind of food you want and it just appears. Now, I didn't think I'd see that in my lifetime, but this kind of biotech development makes it a real possibility. It's kind of cool and a little bit freaky at the same time. <laughs> Finally, Bagel Factory has become the first UK chain to offer bagels with vegan cream cheese. The move happened after discussions with People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which has acknowledged the company's efforts with a Proggy Award, Proggy means progress, which recognises animal-friendly achievements in commerce and culture, reports plant-based news. Bagel Factory created a veggie-filled bagel with vegan cream cheese, avocado, tomatoes and black olives, which was available for £4.29 to launch the new vegan cream cheese at all its stores from the 19th of April. And a bagel with just vegan cream cheese is £2.49. I'm so happy to hear this. Back in the early 90s, I lived for a short while in Dorston in East London before it became trendy. Now, this was just before I went vegan and there was a 24-hour bagel place nearby that I used to love to go to, particularly late at night for a snack. And I loved having my bagel slathered in cream cheese. So it's great that there's now non-dairy options available. So as well as frequenting the vegan pizzerias that I reported on recently, I'll be getting myself a vegan bagel or two with cream cheese during my trip to London in October for the VegFest UK trade event. It's great to see chains like this really getting on board with the plant-based food trend. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.